This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your presence and your help this morning. Lord, we're going to look at two people, two very needy people, a leper and a, and a man with a, a desperately sick servant. And Lord, they came to you for help, and we're coming to you, the same person, Lord, for help this morning to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the same hour. Now, we're obviously continuing in this history of the, uh, the encounter of the centurion with the Lord over the issue of the centurion's sick servant. So if we take one step back from this history, from this healing that's taking place here of the centurion's servant, and realize that, see, this is the second miracle in the book of Matthew, and there's a constant theme. There's a theme that has run through both the first and this second miracle here in the book of Matthew, and it's the theme of, well, what we can see in the first miracle, we saw hopelessness. 
This was the hopelessness of the disease of leprosy. There was no cure for leprosy. Leprosy was not tolerated within the, the people of Israel. Leprosy was treated like it was sin. Leprosy, people with leprosy were banished from the community, and if anyone touched the leper, that person had to be banished for a period of time. He had his two-week incubation to see whether or not he contracted leprosy. In short, leprosy was just a state of hopelessness. The leper was hopeless. There was no possible cure. The hopelessness of that physical disease of leprosy was like the spiritual disease, the hopelessness of the spiritual disease of being also banished from God's community, as it says in Ephesians 2.12. Ephesians 2.12, at that time, you were without Christ, being alien in, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise and having no hope, zero, no hope, and without God in the world. So that description of being without Christ, of being an alien, a stranger, without God, all summed up in these three words of that verse, having no hope, having no hope. That's the picture of the physical disease of leprosy, having no hope. Then the second miracle that we're looking at now, here we see the healing of the centurion servant. Here the condition of the centurion servant is described in Luke 7, 2. Luke 7, 2, which says, a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. He was ready to die. This servant was right on the threshold of death. He'd been on hospice, and now he's in the final stages of life. The doctors have left. They told the centurion that we can't do anything for him. You better prepare for his death, for his burial. And the Greek word for palsy here, it means paralyzed and dissolved. Paralyzed and dissolved. So it gives us a picture here. The centurion servant was paralyzed. His internal organs had dissolved away, like in pancreatic cancer, dissolved away, very painful, very grievously tormented, as he said, which indicates to us that this poor servant was in a tremendous amount of pain. Even though he's paralyzed, he could feel the pain, his organs dissolved away, and the doctor just gave up on him. There was no hope. It was just a matter of time till he died and his suffering would stop. And the centurion is beside himself. He's in a state, he feels in a state of hopelessness. And this is where the leper and the centurion, they meet on the same ground. They've come together, and it's the ground of hopelessness. And that's the link between the leper and the centurion. They were both hopeless. In their state of hopelessness, from two different angles, they come and converge on the Lord Jesus at two different times. The hopeless leper comes to the Lord as he's descending from the mount of the sermon. The hopeless centurion comes to the Lord as he's entering the city of Capernaum. And they both saw that their only hope, the leper and the centurion both saw, their only hope was gonna come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And their prayer for hope was answered for both the leper and the, and the servant for the centurion. And that's the message between these two miracles, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is hope for the hopeless, that when all else fails and offers no hope, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is help. There is help. And that in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
there is a kind of a, an unspoken invitation of come unto me, all you that are hopeless, hopeless. And that in the Lord Jesus Christ is a cure for the soul. There's a cure for the soul that no religion can bring. There's a cure for the soul that no observance of any law can bring. And that's the message of these two miracles. Now, we see the place of the encounter between the Lord and the centurion. As it says in verse five there, that Jesus was entered into Capernaum and there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. So as soon as the Lord enters Capernaum, he encounters this person, this person of authority. He is the centurion, this person of authority for Capernaum. That's why the theme in verse five is really a theme of boldness, boldness, because it, it was bold for that centurion to come to the Lord for help. And we stand back and we admire his boldness. We admire the boldness of the centurion because it was amazing what he did. You know, I don't know if you even remember, but I think it's, I don't, there was a replica of one of Christopher Columbus's boats that he came across on in Harbor Island. Anybody ever see that? Okay, I've seen it. It's, I remember one time we were sailing out on a sailboat, the, um, the little, from the slips there, it's right, it was right by the slips. And I looked at that thing and I thought, that's small. <laughs> that little dinky thing came across the, and it was so small, you thought, he came across the Atlantic in that? And just imagine when Christopher Columbus set sail from Spain in 1492, and, 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 and that little thing, and what we admire about Christopher Columbus was not that he discovered the new world. That's not what we admire about him. What we admire him is that he went out to look for it in that little tiny boat. And what we admire about this centurion is how he went out to look for help from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it shows us from the centurion, if we do nothing in life, it's for sure we will achieve nothing. That's a for sure. But if we attempt, we may achieve. And he attempted and he achieved. So, and why is it we don't do things? Because it's the fear of failure that keeps us from attempting. And that's what we admire about the centurion is how he attempted to find help from the Lord. And that's why the centurion is such an example to us to not be afraid to fail, to get help, to attempt to get help from God. It was a very bold, that's why I say the theme here is boldness in this verse, five. It was very bold for this powerful centurion to come to the Lord and beg him, beseech, beg him for help because there were strong barriers that stood in the way of blocking this centurion from coming to the Lord and begging for help. But the centurion broke through all those barriers in a bold coming to the Lord for help. And in that bold coming, the centurion is a picture for us of how we should break through all the barriers like the centurion did as we realize Hebrews 4, 5, Hebrews 4, 5, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, just like this is the centurion, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The centurion had the barrier of the ridicule of his fellow Roman peers, his fellow Roman centurions, his soldiers for that matter, under him. We have the, he had that barrier. 
He had to break through. We have the barrier of distractions and all the pressing got-to-dos, must-do, that we have to break through. But we in the centurion, we break through, we both meet, us and the centurion, at that throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The centurion had the barrier of the suspicions of his superiors, the suspicions of superiors say, what's with him? All this uh, affection toward the people we're sent to trample on. What is he building this house of worship to, to their false god? He had the, all that barrier. So maybe we should really take a second look at him. Maybe he's not really loyal to us. All that barrier he had to break through. We have the barrier of worry and fret that we have to break through, but we both meet. Same place, throne of grace. There's another reason why this centurion came to the Lord Jesus as the king of the Jews, and that's really revealed to us in Luke 7, 5. In Luke 7, 5, the parallel passage where when the, uh, when the elders of the city came to him, to the Lord Jesus on the behalf of the, of the centurion, they said in Luke 7, 5, he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. These are Jewish elders coming to the Roman centurion and saying, uh, coming to the Lord Jesus and speaking about the Roman centurion, he loves our nation. What nation? The Jewish nation. And hath built us a synagogue. So this Roman centurion clearly knew when he built a synagogue that the God of Israel is the only true God. And he knew that the Jewish people were God's people. And because of that knowledge, this Roman centurion has come to Luke 7, 5. He loveth our nation. The centurion loves the Jewish nation. That he had been sent there, along with the others, by Rome to trample on, hold them under in a brutal, brutal domination. In all likelihood, his sixth servant that he's, that he's referring to, the sixth servant, is, is Jewish. It's a Jewish boy. It's, it's a, the word is actually not servant, it's a boy. The, this believing Gentile Roman centurion is a picture of what happens to a believing Gentile. There, what happens is, is an inexplicable, unexplained love for the Jewish people. So that Paul then, writing to Gentiles, writing to Gentile Romans, he pens the strongest love, strongest love expressions uh, uh, for the Jewish people in, in any other book, in the book of Romans, where he writes in Romans 9-2, Romans 9-2, that he, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. He writes Romans 10.1, Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He writes Romans 11.28, Romans 11.28, They are beloved for the Father's sake, speaking of the Jewish people. Now we really get to see the heart of the centurion in what he said to the Lord in, in verse 6. He says to the Lord in verse 6, he says, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. As I mentioned, the word servant here is the word boy, young, young lad, boy. It's a boy. He's just a boy. He's just a boy. And he tells the Lord that his servant is down. He's down. He's lying down. He's thinking that his servant should be up. He should be lively. But he's lying down on his deathbed. And he tells the Lord that he's grievously tormented 
and the centurion, you can see him feeling the pain of this boy that he loves. And it shows how the, the centurion has a loving heart. He has a tender heart toward his servant. And we don't know anything about this servant. We don't know. But like I said, we, we can assume that uh, he was probably Jewish. He, he wasn't Tasmanian. We don't think so. <laughs> anyway, and as a, as a servant, this Jewish boy would have done duties for him, like cook the centurion's food and clean up his house and polish his armor and go run errands, whatever is needed. And, and obviously, this centurion has come to love this little Jewish boy. And, and maybe this Jewish boy was a believer, as, as was often the case with the poor class, like the slaves. They were the ones who gravitated toward the Lord Jesus. We can imagine conversations. It's interesting just to think of the conversations that might have happened between the centurion and this Jewish boy that he's come to love. We can imagine, uh, imagine these conversations. We can imagine uh, another scene. As we think about that, we can think about another scene of a young Jewish girl. She's just a girl, a young Jewish girl. She's a slave. She's a slave to another foreign captain, a Syrian. A young Jewish girl also works in the home of, a, of the captain, Captain Naaman. Her job is to wait on Captain Naaman's wife. And it broke the heart of the little Jewish girl that Captain Naaman was a leper. And she told Captain Naaman's wife about the true God. And she told her about the God of Israel and how there was a great prophet named Elijah who could heal Captain Naaman. It says that in 1 Kings 5.2. 1 Kings 5.2. The Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. I've oftentimes thought of this little Jewish girl. I mean, I think about child evangelism when I think of this little Jewish girl, a slave in a Syrian home. She's just a little Jewish girl. And when she was taken as a slave, she was all alone. And she was over there in Syria. She doesn't have her mother or father with her. She's just all, no family. She's all alone. But she's not really alone because this little girl had learned to trust the God of Israel. I mean, she never forsook him and he never forsook her. And she's going about her job. She's working for Captain Naaman's wife. But God's with her as she's doing that. And God gives her the boldness. What chutzpah, what boldness this little girl is not afraid to speak about the true God, the God of Israel, when nobody supportive is around her? This little Jewish girl makes a decision to not hate and not be bitter at the Syrians who had slaughtered the Israelites. And the only reason she's alive is because she was taken as a slave, probably killed her family. Little girl, the little girl struggling with this triumphs over her own anger, and she makes a key decision I'm going to love my captors. I want the best for my captors. So at great risk, she speaks to them about the true God of Israel. She looked at Naaman's leprosy, and she didn't say, serves him right for leading all the army to kill my people. Just the opposite. She looks at Naaman's leprosy, and she feels the pain of Naaman's leprosy, and she wants with all her little heart for Naaman to be cured from his leprosy. 
And that's amazing. And this little Jewish slave boy is in the home of the centurion, and he wants his master to come to eternal safety by trusting in the God of Israel. We can imagine conversations between the Roman centurion and the Jewish boy. They talk about God as they talk about God. And the little Jewish boy has been a faithful, obedient servant to the centurion. And the centurion has come to love him. And now this little Jewish boy is sick. He's deathly sick. And this big, mighty centurion has sat by the little boy's bed with tears running down his face. And we can imagine someone has come in and told the centurion, a prophet of God, the Jewish prophet of God has, well, everybody's Jewish, but they came to, he's come to town. He has healed the leper. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. We can imagine the centurion saying, Jesus of Nazareth, a healer of sickness, a Jewish prophet, and he rushes out of the house, the centurion rushes out of the house and finds the elders to go and find Jesus as he's entering town and they find the Lord. And we can clearly see what caused that centurion to go out and find the Lord. Only one thing, trouble. It was trouble. It was the trouble of his dear servant boy that was lying in agony on his deathbed. That was his trouble. A trouble drove the centurion to go find the Lord. That's what drives any of us to go find the Lord. Trouble. Trouble in the home, trouble at work, trouble in the world, trouble and fear. That's what drives anyone to come to the Lord just like it did for the centurion, driven to the Lord by trouble. And the first word out of the centurion's mouth is Lord. The centurion, and clear from what he said later about you have authority and your words is your command. The centurion is a meaning when he says Lord, you are God, Jesus is God. That's the most important doctrine about Jesus, that he is God. No other doctrine about the Lord is more important than the doctrine that Jesus is God. I was last week interviewed by a Jewish organization to determine eligibility for Israeli citizenship, and they wanted to know if I was a member of another religion. Of course not, I don't have any religion. And so the question posed to me, right between the eyes, not as if I went to a church, not as if I was a member of another religion, just one question, do you believe Jesus is God? Wow. That's what the whole interview boils down to. Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe Jesus is God? Not do you wear a cross? Do you believe Jesus is God? Okay. Later, I'll tell you my answer. <laughs> this is what the centurion affirmed with his one word, Lord. He believed that Jesus was God. Now, this was a day for the Lord. It was a very hard day, very exhausting day. He has just delivered a sermon on the mount. He has just gone through the emotional drama of the leper, curing the leper, and he's tired. He's just tired. He's going into Capernaum, and, and he's maybe looking forward to something to eat, something to, I don't know. He's tired. But here comes this request, a boy's sick. And without any hesitation, he says, I'll, I'll come. I'll come and heal him. Immediately, after the centurion through the others had poured out his heart to the Lord, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to go. I'll come. The Lord was definite 
that he said, I will come and heal the boy. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.